Okay, well, I, I appreciate the opportunity to come and talk to you, and um, I, it's been really wonderful and helpful and great for us to work with Bob um, and hopefully vice versa. Um, many of you know me. For those of you who don't, um, I'm the executive director of Steel Valley COG, and in collaboration with our other Mon Valley Councils of Governments, um, we formed this TRICOG initiative. And for those of you who are not in the know about COG, COGs are Councils of Governments, which are membership organizations of local governments. And they come together to endeavor to share stuff, services, develop joint programming, and COG directors I describe myself, although the other COG directors may not agree, we're kind of like border collies. Our role is to run around, circle the edges, and keep everybody moving forward. Um, and so what happened um, and how this initiative, um, and I'm going to talk a little bit, and I apologize, I don't have slides with me. It's actually very unlike me. I love to illustrate and talk off the, off the slides. Um, but what happened was probably about a year and a half ago or more, the three councils of governments representing the municipalities in the Mon Valley began to talk. Um, and we began to talk in collaboration and in conjunction with some work that some of our member municipalities were doing. And we started, you know, some of it arose out of declining budgets. Some of it came out of municipalities. In, in fact, um, local elected officials walking through their municipalities inventorying properties for demolition. And I remember when um, now County Executive Rich Fitzgerald was running for office, we hosted an event with all the eight councils of governments and we brought along our presidents and I was talking to the president of Turtle Creek Valley COG and uh, he's from North Braddock and he had just gone through and walked through his municipality. I don't remember exactly how big North Braddock is but it's not real big. I want to say maybe a thousand, fifteen hundred properties, two thousand at best. Well, he had a list of over 300 properties that were abandoned and should be demolished. That's remarkable for a municipality that small. And we don't hear about North Braddock on the news so much. We hear about some other municipalities right around that neighborhood. But, um, and so those kinds of things kept coming up and coming up, and we recognize that our member municipalities were small and they were most of them, not all of them. Penn Hills is in our group and they're definitely not small. Um, however, we, we started to really realize that these communities were having real struggles with their vacant, blighted, and abandoned property. And that those struggles, and that also happened around the time that other communities were really starting to study this phenomenon. And we started talking and we said, you know what, these communities have to talk to, get to one another. They have to learn from one another and there has to be a regional way 
to solve this problem because they can't do it individually. But we also recognize that that regional approach had to happen in the context of the municipality because that's where land use planning, land, you know, that's where land decisions are made and that's where the laws are and that's where people live and where the constituencies are. And so we recognize the need for scale, but we also recognize that the rebuilding of these communities had to come from the communities themselves. We also realized that we needed to understand the problem. And that's where the collaboration with Bob and Sabina, Uxer, and Pinsis began to evolve. And we felt that we needed to get a handle on this problem. I mean, we had these sort of anecdotal stories. We had local elected officials photographing and counting. We had, unfortunately, she's left, but Connie in East McKeesport was taking leadership and beginning to inventory. Wilkinsburg was doing the same, but we, we recognized that we needed to do that more formally. Many years ago, I had tried to get my hands on one of the, on tax delinquent data. We were trying to like understand this problem. And at that time, unfortunately, Allegheny County was not open to sharing that data. And so I had to call the delinquent tax collectors and they kindly told me that, I, that they would be happy to sell me the data for $7 a parcel. And in fact, I had an intern working with me and he found that offensive. And so he told the law firm such. And I got a letter from the head of the law firm telling me how rude my intern was because he argued with him about public data. Now I can say that um, we went to Rich Fitzgerald right after he was elected. This was something we did together, actually. Bob was at that meeting and we said, Rich, we need to understand this problem. And guess what? We don't have unified tax collection. Yes, I have member municipalities, but we don't, we don't know what their tax delinquency rates are. They don't know what their rates are, and there's no one place. We have, in our TRICOG geographic footprint, we have 41 municipalities. And I thought, you know, I don't want to have these fights with 41 law firms. Do you think we can start with the county tax delinquency file? And he said, sure. Send me a letter. So I did. And he made a couple phone calls. And within a few weeks, we had a promise of the data. And now we get it on a regular basis. And we, when we had this discussion, we were talking about the Mon Valley. But we said, you know what? This data needs to come not just to the Mon Valley. It needs to come for the whole county. Right? Because just because that's my area, that's not to say that someone might not need to look at that data in some other aspect of the county. So thus that data input was born. Um, and those are the kinds of collaborations that continue and that I hope continue. And I, I want to say that I think that PINSYS is a regional resource for us. And for those of us that are working on these public sector problems that require data, 
we need to take the leadership and make sure that we funnel the data through PINSYS, not we get it for ourselves. Do what we need to do with it and continue to be separated. We need to begin to unify it. Back, back to my story. So we started looking at our member municipalities and we started gathering information about them. And we, we started looking at, and just to give you a scale, I said we have 41 member municipalities in our TRICOG area. Our population is a little bit under 300,000 residents, which is a little bit less than the city of Pittsburgh. So collectively, we have a lot of people. We have approximately 150,000 properties in our TRICOG area, and 90% of them are residential. According to the U.S. Census, we have over almost 11% of our properties are vacant structures. Um, we have 13% of our properties are vacant parcels. And we have very high rates of tax delinquency. Um, and what we learned after we were able to get the town, county tax file and to look at that is we learned that tax delinquency was happening in places where we thought it would happen, right? Communities that, we were, that were poor. But we also found that tax delinquency was happening in places where we didn't think it would happen. And that um, these and that tax delinquency also had to do with size. We discovered other things as well in getting the data. Through the collaboration again of Allegheny County and through the GIS department, we've, we regularly obtain the parcel information, which includes all the property profiles. And so we're able to track the condition and to measure without doing the walk on a higher level, we're able to measure the conditions of property. With that information and the information inputted from the local communities who have actually walked their streets and recorded their properties, we're currently working on an initiative to try and calculate the cost of blight. We're looking at tax delinquency, but we're also looking at other things as well. We're looking at um, what happens when you have a structure that is in poor, very poor or unstable condition within 150 feet of other structures. What does that do to your property value? What happens when that's concentrated? What happens when, it, when it's the one bad apple on the street? And guess what we're finding? The one bad apple on the street is actually really bad. <laughs> but the cool thing is, is the one bad apple on the street is probably an easier problem to correct than condensed blight. But the effect of two property values, for example, in more affluent areas or areas with less condensed blight is much greater than it is 
in, that, in, in terms of property value. The other thing that we have been able to do, again, because of data sharing, we, um, and this, you know, this goes back to what was said earlier and in the beginning of his conver conversation and talk about Chicago was a picture of the leaders, right? Now, we haven't been working with the president and his staff, but we've been working with county officials. And I mentioned before that Rich Fitzgerald basically opened the door for us to get this tax delinquency data. We've started, we meet with, our three COGS do more things than just work on blight. One of the things we do is we bring together our police chiefs. And at one of those meetings, I said to uh, Chief Alvin Henderson, who is the head of emergency management, gee, we're looking at this issue of blight, and we'd love to try and figure out whether or not there's a correlation between increased police and fire services and blight. And we need a way to measure that, because trying to collect that data from all the local municipalities, we just really don't have the capacity or the vehicle to do that. And honestly, a lot of that police data is protected. However, 911 calls are not currently. There's some legislation pending. We got the window. So actually, it was Matt who really took the leadership at helping facilitate that um, Alvin Henderson said, you know, sure you can have the data, and he helped make sure it was geocoded properly so that we were able to integrate it into our GIS and map it. And guess what we're finding? There is a correlation between blighted properties and increased police and fire service. And the, you know, I mean, it's not surprising but we're not, because we're able to get the data and we're able to integrate it and we're able to use it in a GIS interface, we're able to do that analysis and measure it. And that has been really important. And one of the reasons why it's very important is because it allows us in our work as border collies to talk to elected officials. Some of them are in the know some of our municipal staff, are, are they get it. We're drinking the Kool-Aid together, right? We're, we're there, we're in it, we get it. But a lot of our municipal officials, our decision makers, they don't really understand it. But, but they need to understand it and they need to understand the importance. And I will tell you that one of the things that municipal officials understand well are are their budget numbers. And so by getting this data and doing this analysis, we're going to be able to go to the municipalities and the school district and to go to Allegheny County and say, these are the effects of these problem properties and these vacant lots on our, on our communities. And that leads to the next part, and that is what do we do about them? Right, and that's the real challenge. I can tell you a couple of the things that, we, that we're doing and that we will continue um, to work towards. Our group has developed this overarching strategy. When we designed it before we started it, we had this idea that it would be a three-phase, five-year plan. It's been fast-tracked a lot. 
Um, but essentially what we're doing is we are collecting information about blight. We've started and we host these meetings, Blightbusters meetings. They're monthly meetings with um, our elected officials um, and where we hope to bring people together to share strategies, to continue this discussion, to share tools. As Chris mentioned before, he wants to inventory and start inventorying properties in Penn Hills. He's using the tool that was developed in East McKeesport. That only gets us one step further or closer to establishing data standards so that we're collecting information in the same way, which helps us understand it. And we're hoping that these conversations will continue to educate our elected officials and educate our municipal staff about the importance of information so that the code enforcement officers that do exist out there who still feel it's okay just to keep it all in your head recognize that that information needs to be recorded in a way that's shareable because that information needs to extend beyond just that neighborhood or just that community. And, you know, if we did not have access to this data, we would not be able to build these coalitions. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about it, but I do want to mention, and many of you attended the program this morning, um, offered by the Institute of Politics on land banking. For those of you who did not or, or don't know what it is, it's a new tool for addressing blight, assembling and repurposing, holding um, unproductive property and trying to figure out what to do with it. Land bank is, is something that's recently been enabled in Pennsylvania. In fact, it was last December. And that's something that our group is using this data to look at and understand and potentially if we can, if we find that it's feasible to develop a multi-municipal land bank in the, Mon in the Mon Valley within our TRICOG footprint. So that's, you know, pretty much what we've been up to in the Mon Valley. Um, and I, you know, I have to say it would not be possible without the data that we've gotten and without the partnership that we've developed with Bob and with Pincus and the, and the officer staff. Thanks, Ann. We've got time for some questions for Ann. Anybody have a few questions on uh, what Lightbusters are up to? Go ahead. Question from experience with some of the some land reserve process in New York. If you have a property that is somewhat salvageable and it has to go to a public auction, normally someone who might not have the best interest of the community can buy it and then sit on it. Right. So how do you avoid uh, or how do you solve that challenge? I don't know that we really know. It's not something that we're not aware of. However, what I can say is that land banks are different, right? So the legislation allows um, land banks, although this is tricky to trump some of those sales, to, Bethany's laughing over there, because this was a question that came up this morning in terms of speculation. I think that, um, 
Certainly, once land banks control the properties, they have some control over that because those same bidding rules don't apply. Whether or not um, it's legally feasible to do that, there are certain incidences within that sale process, and this is kind of beyond my expertise and pay grade, but where a land bank can trump that sale. Whether or not they choose to do that, um, and whether or not that that ability remains in the law, I'm not I'm not sure of. But I do recognize that there's a problem of speculation. However, there is also a, a much larger problem I would suggest of having properties for which there is not an end use, or for which there are properties that need to be converted from, in this case, a residential use to something else. Because we're decreasing, at least in our area, we're losing people, right? So if you're losing people building more houses or supporting you know, new housing without addressing the abandoned housing really isn't a good solution for communities that are declining. I just, to add to that is that um, the properties I have right now, I don't have an owner. I have nobody to cite, I have nobody, so I'm cutting the grass. So I feel like through this, whatever process it is, whether it's land banking or foreclosure or whatever, now I've got somebody to go after. I actually have an owner. You know, now obviously it could be a bank, it could be some other kind of interest, but, but that's, you know, to me right now I have nobody. I, so I don't know if that helps, you know, like one, even if it's somebody not so, even if it's not somebody that doesn't have the best interest in the community, at least I got them, I have a name. But the, the overall picture is the accountability. Right. right. Got a question down here? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, when you're looking at this whole problem, especially as, as your last comment, have you looked at right sizing, similar to what Youngstown, Ohio has done? Uh, yes and no. Um, I think that right-sizing is something that is on the minds of the members of our group, both individually and collectively. One of the things that, while we may be the same size, approximately, as a major city, we're a collection of 41 independent jurisdictions, and it is, you know, under the purview of each one of those councils and those municipal groups to make the decision for their own community whether they choose to decline in a certain way and right size, if you will, or not. Um, <clears throat> our hope is that by participating with others and by having a conversation with other people who are sharing the same demographic and population decline, those, you know, those will be natural, um, I guess, effects of those conversations and that information sharing. It's certainly something that we talk about. But again, it's not up to me or our group to decide. It's up to the individual municipalities and their right to plan and control what happens in their own jurisdictions. Thanks, Anne. Thanks, Anne. Yeah. Yep.